communication or, or are, are away now from our church family that you'd be close to them. Lord, we also look around at creation and see that it is groaning. We see the flooding that has happened in New England. We see um, the hot weather in some parts of the country, which is, which is hurt, harming people. And Lord, we uh, pray that you'd be close to people who are, who are adversely affected by those things. And we thank you that there'll come a day when there's a new creation, when you make all things right, including um, in the created order of the world. And we pray, Lord, for uh, our next generation of students. I thank you for the kids that are sitting in this room right now. Thank you for the students up in DIG. We thank you especially um, for adolescents who are in middle school and high school. We thank you, Lord, for the folks who lead middle school and middle school community group and high school community group in our church. And Lord, we pray a blessing over high school and middle school students. We pray a blessing over the kids that will go to Young Life Camp from the seacoast and from Dover in a few weeks. We pray a blessing over... Um, the work that will happen um, this summer in the lives of those students. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to commend your name to the next generation. And we pray that um, Generation Z and Gen Alpha would, would experience you in new and fresh ways and transform the world because of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, we're going to come to the communion table as a church body this morning. But beforehand, I want to walk us through a body of, or a passage of Scripture that Adam read for us in the call to worship. It's Philippians 2, 1 through 11. If you have a Bible or a copy of the Scriptures on a cellular device, maybe open up to Philippians 2, 1 through 11 and leave it open. We're going to uh, camp out there this morning. And I want to start off by reading it again for us. Um, I'm going to read it from the ESV and we'll have it up on the screen but I'd invite you to stand, and if you don't have a Bible, maybe just let the words kind of wash over you, see what things stand out to you from this great text. So let's stand. I'm going to read Philippians 2, 1 through 11. And at the end, I'll say, uh, this is the word of the Lord. And you can respond by saying, thanks be to God. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. You can have a seat. This is the book of Philippians. The author is Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament are many letters in the New Testament. Uh, and this passage, especially verses 5 through 11, is some people refer to it as the hymn of Christ. 
People think it was like written as a song, especially 5 through 11. And some people think maybe it was like sung by the early church before Paul was even around. Uh, some people think Paul maybe wrote it. Um, but I want to draw our attention to three words or phrases in it that will hopefully sort of encourage us and, and, and bring us to the communion table in a new way today. The first phrase is this, is that Jesus emptied himself. I'm going to reread verses 5 through 7. We can put those up on the screen. It says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He's existed before the creation of the world, before the creation of time. He is fully God. There's an early creed, the Nicene Creed, one of the earliest creeds of the church. It says this about Jesus. He is very God of very God. Jesus is fully God. The way Paul puts it here is that he is in the form of God doesn't mean he's just a little bit like God. It means he is God. He has the same nature, characteristics, and qualities of God the Father and God the Spirit. However, the second person of the Trinity chose to come to earth as a human being. We celebrate his birth every year at Christmas. And when Jesus comes to earth, he who is in the form of God takes on an additional form, the form of a servant. Verse 7 tells us that Jesus is born in the likeness of men. He takes on a human body. And Paul uses a phrase to describe what happens when Jesus takes on a human body. Verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So by taking on a body, Jesus empties himself. You might have another translation of the Bible. And this phrase, emptied himself, also gets translated as made himself nothing or gave up his divine privileges. The word emptying, it's, like, it's a Greek word, okay, that means, um, it means like to be poured out. Like when a cup, when water is poured out of a cup, that's what, you, you empty a cup of water by pouring it out. Jesus was emptied when he became a human. Metaphorically speaking, uh, another way to talk about it is giving up status or privilege. So this is what Jesus did when he came to earth. He did not give up his divinity. He was still God. But he did empty himself of his position or place in heaven and take on uh, the, a human body. So he doesn't give up his identity, his divinity. He gives up his position. I heard a story uh, years ago, most likely fictional, about a plane that was going through turbulence. There was a small child in the back. This child was um, scared, was crying. The, the, the plane's bumpy. They, they were worried. The child was worried. And the flight attendant let, let the, um, the captain know, hey, there's a, there's a child in the back crying. And the captain uh, decided to leave the cockpit, walk back to this child, sit down and, and, and talk to this child and say, hey, it's going to be okay. I know how to fly the plane. I'm going to take care of it. Um, it, it it's okay. It offered a comfort to this young passenger. 
Now, the point of that probably fictional story is that the pilot didn't give up his role as a pilot by doing that, but he gave up his position of comfort in the cockpit to go back, to sit with a child, to sit with somebody in distress and comfort them and be with them. And it meant a lot more than an announcement over the intercom of the plane. And to a much greater extent, Jesus does that when he came to earth. He doesn't give up his divinity, but he does give up his position in heaven. We read, uh, Luke read for us in Luke 14, where Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I have come to you. Jesus, he comes to us. The emptying is that God becomes human. All right. We do not know what it's like to be God. None of us knows what that's like. We probably could assume that it's better to be God than it is to be a human. Like it is a more advantageous circumstantial life position to be God than to be a human being. It's great being a human, but sometimes it's really not great to be a human. You get a skin knee, you wake up sick, you get sad for no reason, or you get sad for a, a reason that's really hard, or you get sad for a reason that's really not hard, like the Celtics lost in the Eastern Conference Finals, okay? Um, you get, you, you have people get mean to you, you are mean to other people, like you experience life, you experience death. It can be hard to be a human. These things don't, ha- don't happen to God, but when Jesus takes on humanity, he experiences some of these things that human beings experience. So Jesus empties himself of his position of comfort in heaven. Um, not only did he empty himself by becoming human, he continues to empty himself by dying on the cross. Look at verse 8. We'll keep it open here. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus' emptying continues as he dies a brutal death on the cross for our sins. Earlier I gave this airplane analogy of a pilot coming back and saying, hey, everything's going to be okay. But unlike that analogy, the presence of sin in our world means everything is not okay. And in fact, so to speak, the, the plane is going down. Like our lives are, are headed towards death. And Jesus takes on death in our place so we don't have to. He lived a life of continual self-emptying. And actually, if you read the Gospels account of Jesus' life, he is always emptying himself. He's always giving himself away for others. He's touching lepers. He's washing feet. He's being inconvenienced all the time. He's continually emptying himself. And when we take communion, when we drink the cup in a few minutes, we'll remember his shed blood on the cross, that his body was literally emptied of blood for our sin so that we could be filled up with a relationship with God. You know, we all, we all, like in your life, you feel empty and stretched and stressed in some area, probably. In some ways, it's like, uh, I heard someone give this analogy years ago, that our lives are like a bucket of water. And we desire for them to be like, to be filled. We would like to have a full bucket of water, but life like pokes holes in your bucket. 
What's poking a hole in the bucket of your life? Maybe it's the stress of work. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's something you have to do that you're stressed about. Maybe it's anxiety. So we have things poking holes in the bucket of our life and our life, it feels empty. It feels like our life is sometimes being draining out. So what we do is we try to fill up our, the bucket of our life with other things, with things that will make us happy, with things that will make us joyful. What do you fill the bucket of your life with? Most of the things I try to fill the bug out of my life with are, like, they work for a little while. Even a vacation. That's not a bad thing to fill your life with. You go on vacation. Oh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. You get on vacation, you're like, oh, I was kind of cranky before I left for a vacation. Now I'm just cranky on location in a different place, you know? Uh, you get back to work, it's still hard. Like, so that things, like, help us temporarily, but don't fill us forever. Consider these words of Jesus in John chapter 4. Jesus says this, talking to a woman at a well. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is offering us to fill our lives in a way that can't be filled because he was emptied. We sang this, we sang a really cool song. We sang a, a bunch of really cool songs this morning, but we sang this song, Jesus Strong and Kind. It was the second song we sang. You should, you should go download that on your Spotify and listen to it. It's, it's awesome. It's like this beautiful lullaby. And the first line says, Jesus said that if I thirst, I should come to him. No one else can satisfy. It's a great line. Jesus was emptied so that he could satisfy us. Really cool. So number one, Jesus was empty. Number two, Jesus is exalted. We see that Jesus empties himself of his position in heaven by becoming human and then empties himself through his death, but that's not the end of the story. After Jesus' death, he is exalted by his resurrection from the dead and his ascension into heaven. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says this, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him, Jesus, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is exalted. Exalt means to lift up or give something praise, to honor something, to give high acclaim to something. In the 90s, we would say, give props to something. That was like the, the phrase you used back then. It, but God the Father literally lifts Jesus up in the resurrection, and he's now restored back to his rightful place in heaven. God the Father exalted God the Son, and we now, as humans, have the choice, do, do we choose to exalt Jesus? And this text tells us that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess and exalt Jesus. We exalt Jesus when we recognize him as Lord, recognize that he poured out for us and now sits in heaven. Another word for exalt would be worship. And so it's a question for me and for you, what do you worship? What do you exalt? I heard a pastor at one point say that a way to know what we worship is to think of what we give our attention to. Worship is attention. That might not exactly be a true thing, but what do you give your attention 
too. I give my attention to a lot of things, to my family, to my job, to ESPN.com, to my phone. Your phone probably dinged this morning and told you how much attention you gave to it daily this week. Three hours and 52 minutes a day. Don't, I should not be able to tell you I don't have time to read the Bible. I shouldn't be able to tell you that. I have three hours and 52 minutes to look at my phone. And minimal of that was on the Bible app, okay? Um, but what do you give your attention to? Attention is, a, is the commodity in our society. Social media, big tech, they want your attention. And they're getting it. Um, the CEO of Netflix famously said a few years ago that we compete with, not with other companies, we compete with sleep. That's what we compete with. If we can get people to stay awake longer, then we will get more, we will get more of their attention. And they're winning. Social media companies employ people called captologists. It's a new science, captology. It means the science of like influencing people through technology, gaining their attention. They don't want to make your lives better or simpler. They want to take your attention and make money off it. So I'm not really saying that because I host, hate social media, but I do hate social media. Um, but that's not really the point of this sermon. But um, the point is, what do you give your attention to? What are you worshiping? Because we'll come to this communion table in a minute, and we read these words from Paul in Philippians, and we should be encouraged to turn our attention or our exaltation to God, to Jesus. So it's a good question for us. What are you paying attention to? What are you exalting? We sang another great song. On the altar of our praise, let there be no higher name than Jesus, Son of God. What's on the altar of your praise? What's on the altar of my praise? So Jesus is emptied. Jesus is exalted. I want to conclude before we go back, go to the communion table with the first two verses that we read in Philippians. So we're going back to the beginning. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Let me just tell you something about Paul. The dude is wordy, like, word, like uses a lot of words, okay? Um, but he uses a few phrase, uh, phrases in here that are interesting, okay? He uses these uh, phrases, same mind, same love, and then one mind. So Paul is writing to a group of people who live in Philippi, which I, I think is in Greece or Turkey. It's, and uh, he's writing to these Christians who live in Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. And he's telling them that as a church, they should be of one mind, have a common mind. To share something in common means that a group of more than one people is going to believe equally in something. Um, I'm just telling you, there's no way that that church in Philippi had a common mind on all issues. If you go on to chapter 4, there's like an argument going on. They, there's no way they agreed on everything. 
There's no way that our church, Be Free Dover, has a common mind on every issue that we share. We, we do share a bunch of things in common. We all live in New England. We might, you know, share various things in common. But there's a lot of things we don't hold in common, and that can be hard. So what is Paul asking that they hold in common? It's the hymn of Christ. The belief that Jesus was emptied by dying on the cross and then exalted through his resurrection. One of the earliest creeds of the Christian church is three words. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's what we're called to hold in common. If I'm honest, I notice that in our world today, I tend to sometimes be more inclined to think I hold things in common with somebody that shares my same way of thinking about politics. Oh, we, I'm, in a, I'm, in, I'm like-minded with that person. Or thinking about um, COVID restrictions or racial reconciliation or gender ideology or whatever. Like, so I look at those things and I say, oh, I'm in common mind with those people. But the passage is, is saying sort of the opposite of that. The passage is saying the most important thing that binds us together is our belief in Jesus as Lord, and that's what we should be rallying around. There are a lot of issues that need to be worked out, that need to be thought about in the life of the church, in the life of our country, but we would have to start with the idea that Jesus is Lord and rallying around that. I do also think along with that, the centrality or authority of the scriptures, the Bible is linked into that because we would have a hard time honestly calling Jesus Lord if we didn't have the Bible and the account of Christ in the Bible. So naming Jesus as Lord means we acknowledge the centrality and the authority of the Bible and then that invariably leads to different interpretations of the scripture but there should be no different interpretation on the fact that Jesus is Lord. And this is sort of, if you were here last week, when Ralph Leo preached, my kids were like, good luck following that. Um, but his idea was we keep the main thing, the main thing, we focus on Jesus, not the secondary issues of politics or equity and things like that. These issues do have a place, but the main question is, do you name Jesus as Lord? Do you desire others to name him as Lord? That's what we hold in common. And that's why when we come to this communion table, we, might, we would call it a common table, a common table of grace for people who name Jesus as Lord and may have a ton of other things different in their lives. So we are gonna take communion together and to show our unity and the fact that we have a common mind in Christ, we're going we're gonna to come to the same table. We're all, you're going to walk up here. You're going to leave your position like Jesus left his position in heaven. And then you're going to take the bread and the juice, which is a symbol or a reminder of Jesus emptying his body and his blood. And in doing it, you're, you exalt Jesus as Lord. Before we come to the communion table, I'd love for us to just take some time in personal prayer as we sort of wrap up uh, this period of time looking at scripture and come to the communion table. This is a time to take stock of our lives 
and before God in, in the quietness of our own hearts confess areas, hey, are there areas where we need forgiveness, where we say, God, I've put other, many other things before you. I have other things on the throne or the altar of my life, and I'd like to put you back on the throne of my life. So in a minute, I'm going to ask the worship team or uh, ask Heidi and, and Luke to come back up here and just pray some mu- or, uh, play some music. Um, and we're just going to have some time to um, sit with the Lord and confess and pray. At the end of that, I'll wrap up in prayer, and then as you are ready, you can come to the table and take the elements. You can take the, take the bread, take the juice, bring it back to your seat, and we will um, walk through that time together. So Luke and Heidi, why don't you come back up?